Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This is part 20, lesson 34, entitled, Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, the first five verses, which in reality are kind of attached to the last chapter, going ahead and elaborating still yet on that new city of Jerusalem, and says, And he shewed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. They shall reign forever and ever. Again tonight entitled, Come, Lord Jesus. Father, I come to you tonight. God, we have been, Lord, on quite an extended journey, Lord, of the past several weeks. Lord, walk in our way, Lord, through the book of Revelation. God, we come, Lord Jesus, to this final lesson tonight. I'm praying once again that you would help us, enlighten us. God, if anything, Lord, underscore the importance. Lord Jesus, if you say, Lord Jesus, that you're coming again, help us to be in a position to say, come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. I pray, oh, Lord, God, bless us tonight, God, through the reading, the hearing, God, and the doing of your word. The love of the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Everyone say amen. Amen, you may be seated. As you can see, those first five verses do sound as though that may could very well belong to the chapter before it because it is nothing more but a continuation of a description of that city, the New Jerusalem. And so the Bible, in continuing speaking about it, says that there will be a pure river of water of life that comes from the throne of God. Everybody say throne of God. Amen, amen. And it uses terminology just to uh, underscore its its purity. It says clear as crystal, just just underscoring the purity of the water. I would dare to say any uh, type of body of water we have up on our earth today to a certain degree, some look clear, but uh, they all are somewhat flawed with other tributaries or stuff that flows off the banks and run off into the water. But this is going to be a clear as crystal, pure water of river water of living, of life rather. Amen. Pure, unlike ever probably we have ever seen in our life. Unlike any that we've seen in this earth or this present day. And what is so peculiar about this particular river, I had you say the throne of God because the source of this river is not some snow-capped mountain somewhere in a distant land that's flowing down and coming and feeding this river, but the source for this river is the very throne of God. And yet the throne of God has the ability to perpetuate water forever and ever. Uh, Don't have to depend upon the evaporation back into some sun for the raining of something back down. But the throne of God will be able to sustain the flow of that river for all of eternity. Amen. David said in the Psalm, Psalms 46 and 4, he said, There is a river, he said, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. In the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, in that paradise, there was a river that came from Eden. And now in the paradise that John is speaking to you and I about is also not left without a river that flows from it. 
The Bible says in Genesis 2.10, and a river, speaking of Eden, went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. A river came out of Eden, that place of perfection that God had seemingly ordered from the very beginning to water the whole garden, the Bible says, was the purpose of the river. If we could say it like this, the purpose of the first river that came out of Eden was to water the whole garden or to give life to the garden and thus give life to ever partook of the garden. And so we have a river to come. Someday in the new Jerusalem, that will be a river of life, perpetuating life and giving life. There is also a river that is spoken of in Ezekiel 47. It is described as though it's coming forth from underneath the threshold of the house of God and that it flows until it becomes waters to swim in. Amen. Referring quite possibly to a millennial temple during that thousand year reign of millennium. But nevertheless, these waters became wide and broad from the temple of God. And the Bible says in Ezekiel of that temple that that water brought healing to the land. Amen. And so we have always had, I've stated this before, I believe in the sermon, we've always had some type of water or river from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation and beyond the time in which we're standing. Amen. A river that children of Israel had during their wilderness wanderings that flowed from a flint stone that came from a rock. There was a river, if you will, that stood before the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well that he said, if you drink of the water that I'll give you, you will never thirst again. A river that Jesus spoke of the last day of the feast in John 7, if any man thirsts, let him come. Amen. And there'll be rivers of living water springing out of them. And so in the book of Revelation, it is not, I don't think, a surprise that there is a river that proceeds from the throne of God. A river, a water of life that comes. Note the verse in verse number 1 out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Not denoting two persons or that there'll be two thrones for that matter. Because John has already solidified for us in Revelation 4 when he heard the beckoning trumpet to come up hither, which was heaven, he went to heaven. He already told us that he saw a throne that was set in heaven and on set a throne was set in heaven and on set on one I, I missed the E here in my typing that's the reason why it's on set on one sat on the throne amen and as a that fact we have studied different times in our Ephesians study other studies I pointed out that the word and in the Greek amen in the New Testament scripture amen is from a Greek word called kai k-a-i amen and it can be translated as and or as even, meaning in the sense of that is or which is the same as. In other words, out of the throne of God, even of the Lamb, out of the throne of God, that is of the Lamb, even out of the throne of God, which is the same as the Lamb. So I'm not talking about two thrones. I'm not talking about two persons. I'm talking about one person, amen, Jesus Christ, who was God but became the Lamb. Amen. Amen, and took away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? Amen. And so it is a river that proceeds from the throne of God, the throne of God and of the Lamb. If my wife were to say to me, or to you all rather, let's say you all, the tree fell on the car of the pastor and of my husband. She would not be indicating to you two people. But she would be further clarifying who that one person was. The pastor is also my husband. Well, your God is also your lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And his name is Jesus this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the throne of God that is or which is the same as of the Lamb or Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse number four later, it says that they, that is his servants, 
shall see his face. We have songs about it. What a day that will be. Mm-hmm. My Jesus Christ, I'll see when we'll look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace. You've heard it in songs and poetry, just to see the face of Jesus. He says in verse 4 that his servants, he's referring to his servants, his servants shall see his face. Amen. And so I say, absolutely. You're telling me we're going to see his face? Yes. Amen. We're going to see the face of God? Yeah. They did in the Gospels. They seen the face of God. Amen. Because when you look at the face of Jesus, you have seen the face of God. Because Jesus, according to Colossians 1.15, says, who is the image of the invisible God? Christ Jesus is that image of the invisible God. So when you have seen Christ Jesus... You have seen God. John 10 and 30, Jesus said, I am my Father are one. He said in John 14 and 9, whenever Philip asked him, show us the Father and sufficeth, he says, he that hath seen me, Jesus says, hath seen the Father. We're going to look on his face. You better believe we're going to look on his face. We're going to look upon Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you have seen God. Amen. This is the revelation, the book of revelation of Jesus Christ. Because later he would say in the finality of this chapter as well, in verse number 16, a question that he, or an answer, if you will, to a question that he had puzzled some of the scribes and Pharisees with. Amen. Speaking about how in the world, if David is our Lord, he calls him Lord. How in the world can that happen? And he speaks to us then in verse 16. Jesus plainly read letters in verse 16 tells us himself that he is both the root and the offspring of David. In other words, David came from me, yet I came from David. How in the world possible? Because as creator, as God, who makes every child within the womb, amen, as Psalms 139 speaks to us, amen, and making every child in the womb, amen, David is his offspring. Amen. He is the root, if you will, of David. But being born through the lineage of Judah, through the lineage of David, being king, Jesus Christ born to Mary and Joseph, if you will. He is the offspring of David. How is it possible? Because he is God. Amen. But he made himself a body. Amen. And came down to us as Jesus Christ. He's the root and the offspring of David. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And so somehow verse 2 tells us, and that, that, uh, that's my little one God spill here for a little bit, but, 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 but somehow the scripture tells us in verse 2, and it's, very, it's hard to wrap our minds around it. If you're going to ask me to draw the, the verbiage of verse 2, there could be different people that come up with different scenarios just with how that's worded. Look at it. If you're going to draw what is spoken, you, you, could, you could really take this a few different ways. So I'm going to just leave it at this. Somewhere, there's an intersection with the river of life and the street of gold. Whether that river is running all the way down the middle of that street or whether it crosses that street, somewhere there's an intersection of the two, of the river life and the street of gold. And then the Bible says there is a tree of life, but note, there's a tree of life, almost like speaking in singular type of activity here, but it's found on either side of the river. So you see the dilemma I got here. Talking about a tree of life in singularity, but it's found on either side of the river. The Bible says it bears 12 different manners of fruit, and the bearing of the fruit happens monthly. It happens every month, and that its leaves were for the healing of the nations. That's very important. Amen. The Bible speaks of a street of gold, a river of life, a tree of life. Amen. And all of these are spoken in singular terms. Amen. Yet whenever you speak about the tree in particular, it's on this side of the river, and it's on that side of the river. Now this is just a perhaps, mind you, just a perhaps. Perhaps these things are not necessarily singular in number but singular in terms of kind because there's no other river like going to be like the river of life it's singular in its type and kind there will be no other tree 
or trees like the tree or trees of life because it's singular in its kind. There's been, I, I know they have some pretty whacked out and really whoo, lush stuff, but there's never been a street of transparent gold. Amen. But there will be then. Amen. There's never been such a pure river, but there will be then. Amen. And so this tree, this tree is going to be bearing different 12 manners of fruit and its leaves are going to be very unique with some properties as well. Amen. And whenever I read all this, it's important to me, amen, to understand that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. As we discovered last week, the word nations also meaning peoples in its most generic form. Amen. The tree, its, its leaves were for the healing of the peoples. Amen. But the question then goes, why do we need leaves for the healing? Because we live in a city of, I thought, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more sickness. What will be the purpose of leaves for healing if we live in such a place? The word used for healing is actually the word from which we get our English word therapeutic. Therefore, it isn't so much for the healing of the people as much the health of the people. It will be the source of their continued health. There's no pain there. There's no sorrow there. There's no sickness there. But the leaves is for the continuation and the maintenance of what is already theirs. Amen. Just as David described in Psalms 1, he described the tree. Amen. He described a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. David described the tree. And he said that tree that's planted by the rivers of water gets its refreshment through its roots that gets its water from the river that it is planted by. And so here we have a tree of life that's on either side of the river that must be receiving its refreshment. Watch me now. From the river of life, the tree of life is getting its refreshment from the water, the river of life that flows directly from where? The throne of God, or if I can say it, the throne of life. We have a tree of life getting sustenance from the river of life that comes straight from the giver of life. Hmm, some would say amen. And through this venue, you can take the leaves and it maintains the upkeep of health and life in all that dwell there. Why? Because essentially we go back to the source. It flows from the throne of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. It flows from the throne of God. For that matter, bear with me just a moment, but the word that is usually normally used for tree in our Bible is not the word that is used right here in Revelations 22. Here, the word that is used is the one that is always used for the cross when it is spoken of as a tree. Mm -hmm. The word that's used here is not just the normal tree that's used everywhere else in the Greek language, but it's the, the word that's used for the cross. Hallelujah. Because the cross definitely has become a symbol of a life giver and a healing agent to you and I as Christians. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 24, speaking of Christ, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye, everybody say, were, by whose stripes ye were healed. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, speaking of that Christ Jesus prophetically, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, speaking prophetically as though it was already done. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are, by say, are, are healed. Amen. Calvary, the cross, the death of Christ upon the cross. Amen. Those stripes we were healed. Those stripes we are healed. What are you talking about? I'd love to preach sometime on the power of the stripes, the past and the present. Because not only did it take care of the healing they needed, but it maintained the healing that they got. They were healed. They are healed. Amen. Yeah. That tree, why do you use that, that, that word for cross there in Revelations 22? Because they can even take of that tree, that new life tree in the new city of Jerusalem and apply it for the healing or the health 
health, amen, and permanence of the health of those that live there. Why? Because the cross took care of healing and it maintains healing every, every, every day. Good then, good now, forever shall be good. Amen. They healed in the past and they heal in the present. Amen. They maintain it. Maintain it. And so the Bible story here, Genesis, doesn't even just barely get started until there's an introduction to several curses on mankind and creation. But in its finality, according to Revelations 22, he tells us, there shall be no more curse. He says that, listen to me, his servants shall serve him. Amen. <laughs> this idea that sometimes has been propagated by artists or whoever thinking that we're just going to sit around heaven doing nothing like a bunch of lazy bums is erroneous. His servants shall serve him. We shall serve him in whatever capacity that he desires. Case in point, the first Eden, he wasn't just sitting around like a lazy bum. Hear me? Whenever he created Eden, God took the first man, placed him in the Eden to what? To dress it and to keep it. He was at the service of the master. He placed man in the first paradise to serve, to serve. And from then until now, there's been a certain aspect of our Christian lives that have been, or at least should have been, service. Amen. Service. For that matter, if it wasn't, there wouldn't be so much concentration in the book of Revelation talking about, amen, us being rewarded according to our deeds. Amen. So the gist of it is this. If we desire to serve him in heaven, we better get accustomed to serving him now. He said, my servants are going to serve me. Well, let me tell you, the time of the start of that is not when we walk through pearly gates. We're starting our service unto the Lord even right now here upon this old earth. And so if we desire to serve him there, we better get to business to serving him down here. He spoke to the church at Ephesus. I, I don't know, I feel a little preachy here tonight. He spoke to the church at Ephesus. He said, I, I will give to those that overcome I'll give to those that overcome or that overcome to eat from the tree of life. Huh? Woo! Heaven! But you gotta be an overcomer. Someone say amen. Listen to pastor tonight because it might get close sometimes here before I'm said and done, but I'm talking about eternity here. The word overcome here means to conquer prevail, get the victory. Other definitions used in the New Testament in the Greek is this, for overcome, exercise dominion over, be Lord over, exercise lordship over. He said, Ephesus church, he that overcometh, that conquers, that prevails, that gets the victory, that, that exercises lordship over. He says, I'll give you to eat of the tree of life. Folks, overcomers stop being the slave and become the masters through the power of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. They stop being the slaves and they become the masters through the power of the Holy Ghost with their Christian maturity issues. According to verse 4, the Bible says, the servants are the ones that will see his Face. They are the ones with his name, the Bible says, in their foreheads. They don't have the mark of the beast, hallelujah, but the mark of the best. Amen. <laughs> well, what is that? Well, were we, and we talked about this before. What is this junk when you get this name and stuff on your forehead? That denoted ownership. They had old time customs even for people's ownership of a personal slave happening in the forehead. It claimed ownership. He said, those with my name in their forehead, I own them. 
Amen. And they're my servants. And their serving doesn't just start when they get to heaven. Amen. Amen. It's my name and it's in their foreheads. And in verse number five, he reiterates some stuff he's already spoke about in, in chapter number 21. He, speaking of Christ, will be that light. There will be no need for a candle. There will be no need, no need for the light of the sun. There will be, he says, plainly no night. Amen. He will suffice. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 5, speaking of him, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's the reason why he said, if you walk in the light as he is the light, you'll have fellowship one with another. Whenever you get in fellowship with God, darkness in your own life starts to because there is no darkness at all in him. Now, when we get to verse number six, and I know we just got here, but we'll make it, folks. We're ending tonight. In verse number six forward, we have what one may call, like you call the epilogue of a book or the postscript, if you will, to the book of Revelation. Not just to the book of Revelation, for that matter, to the book of books, of the 66 books of the Bible. Three times in the close of this book in Revelation and in the book called the Bible, Christ speaks emphatically, I come quickly. In other words, what are you saying to me, Lord? I, let me interpret. We need to be living our lives in the light of the nearness of His coming. His imminent coming. What are you saying? I'm saying it could be today. It could be today. Don't get caught with the mindset of some that says, well, that has been said for generations. Maybe. But you may be overlooking the perspective of God too. Because he said in 2 Peter 3 and 8, whenever Peter was handling this dilemma of people saying nothing has changed from the beginning, they've been saying he's going to come and nothing has happened. He said, beloved, be not ignorant for this one thing. You're all looking through human mindset, but remember the perspective of God that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Whenever you consider, well, it's been thousands of years since he even died on the tree, but from the perspective of God, it's been a quick work. He said, behold, I come quickly. You said, boy, it's been thousands of years, but that's been a short time for God. Mm -hmm. Someone say yes. Short time for God. Amen. Short time. He comes quickly. We can't be messing around. Listen, folks, whether he comes in your lifetime or not is not the issue. Whether he comes in your lifetime or not is not the issue. The issue is you're appointed once to die. And after that, a judgment either the judgment that happens before the millennial reign, which is for the righteous, or that which happens at the end a thousand years later for the wicked. You're going to die once and judge, and then if you're a part of the wicked, you're going to die again. So the issue is not, well, I might not even be alive when the Lord comes. Big deal. Will you be ready when you die? Because there's no recourse after death. There's no second chances. There's no do-overs. So the, 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 the argument matters, well, he's not going to come my lifetime. Well, great. What that means is, look at your clock. Half my life is probably already over. For a lot of you, that's even further along on the journey. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. The sixth beatitude of Revelation is here. It says, listen now, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Again, I believe it is local and in its expanse of Revelation and the whole book. I'll tell you why here in just a moment. But blessed is he that keepeth the prophecy of this book. This is very similar to the first beatitude that we found in the book of Revelation. Minus the first two parts. Because in the first beatitude of Revelation, it said, blessed is he that reads and hears. And 
keeps the prophecies of this book. So blessing from reading, blessing from hearing. But here at the end, all of that is put to the side and it is blessed for the doing. Someone hear me? Because reading's wonderful at this stage in the game. Hearing is a great practice at this stage of the game. But whenever all of that is said and done and you're looking at the end of time, it's what you've done with what you have read and what you've done with what you have heard. Don't be like the man in James that beholdeth himself in a glass and he leaves and he forgets what measure of man that he was. He said that is someone that hears the word and is not a doer of the word, that sees the reflection in God's word of where every episode they were a little off here and off there and left there with conviction in their heart it's not right and went on and kept on doing what they always did. He said that's just being a hearer of the word. He said but a doer, they're going to look at the word of God. It's going to speak to them. It's going to convict them. They're going to read it. They're going to hear the preacher preach it. And they're going to say, you know what? i got to get that right. You know what? i got to straighten that up. You know what? I can't continue like this. I... Amen. And so keeping is imperative. Keeping is imperative. John, he's so overwhelmed with everything that he's experienced that he falls down according to the Scripture in verses 8 and 9, he falls down at the feet of an angel and worships. Now the angel says, hold on, John, get a little excited here, boy. I'm one of your brethren here. Don't be falling down and worshiping me. So there's none that you should worship except worship belongs unto God alone. And for one matter, at the end of this study, I think John's response is the proper response. Of worship. This should be our response when we leave this place tonight. Of reverence and worship. Because of our study of the book of Revelation, the prophecies, everything that we have found out. A reverence for God should ensue when we leave this building tonight. Because of everything we've heard over the past 34 lessons. Amen. But I believe there is also another clear message. The angel said, no one, no one with certainty. This is not a man, but this was an angel created by God, a messenger of heaven. He said, you should only, you should worship, you should worship God. And here again, once again, if we can go back in time to when Jesus had his earthly ministry, there's something perfectly clear concerning a message about who Jesus was in his earthly ministry. Because at least 10 or so times, Jesus in his earthly ministry received worship. And if no one was to receive worship but God, why was Jesus not saying a word about, hold on, you need to divert? No. He knew he who he was. Uh-huh. Never diverted that. Out. Ten or so times people palm down and worship him. Why? Mm-hmm. He was God in the flesh. The angel tells John, he says, John, don't, seal up these prophecies of this book. Why? Because the time is at hand. The time is at hand, John. Don't, don't seal up these prophecies. We have the, we have the churches here and we're, we're trying to pull and reach for them. The time is at hand. They, what, the scriptures that you're writing here pertain from this day forward, John. The, the time is at hand. If you'll remember whenever Daniel wrote all his stuff in the last chapter, chapter 12, the angel said, now seal up. Seal up these writings. Amen. Until the time of the end. And Daniel wrote about a lot of things of his very current day, but also things that were well, well, thousands of years well ahead of his time. He said, seal them up for the proper time. But now the angel says, John, we're at that time. Anything that's spoken from here forward, it's going to refer to right here in the book of Revelation. Verse number 11 gives certainty that there is a time. Listen to me again. I'm pulling for anybody. That's in this place. They hear me on the podcast. When there's, typically we have close to 400 listeners uh, on the podcast. I'm telling anybody right now that there is with certainty a time when wrong will not be able to become a right. And vice versa. There will be a time, he said, when the unjust will remain unjust. The filthy remain filthy. The righteous also 
remain righteous. The holy remain holy. There will come a time when straddlers, hear me today, when straddlers will be straddlers and the uncommitted will have no recourse. They'll remain uncommitted, indecisive, perpetually with no option for change. It's high time to wake out of your sleep for near is your salvation than when you first believe. Oh, hmm. I hear the voice of God that tells us to call upon him while he is near and while we're able. Why? Because it's a possibility. There's a window of time for change, for alteration, for amends. But there is a day when nothing will be able to be changed. He's going to reward every man according to his work. He said his reward is with him. He's going to, record, he's going to reward every man according to his work. Uh-huh. What? He's going to reward the saved according to their works. And he's going to reward the unsaved to their degree of punishment as well. Or lack of work. Or wrong. He says in verse 14, here is the eighth final blessed of the Beatitudes here in Revelation. I think it's eight. He says, blessed are they that, here we are again, do. He can't emphasize this enough. He, talking about heaven, all that is over. John is here and, and Jesus is speaking and they're just talking about everything that's just been written. That was pertinent for their day forward. And he says, blessed are they that do his commandments. He says, they, that they may have right, everybody say right, to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into that city. Listen, when you do the commandments, you have rights. When you do the commandments, you have rights to the tree of life and to enter the gates of that new Jerusalem city. Listen, these rites are not extended to readers only. These rites are not extended to hearers only. These rites are extended to those that do His commandments. These rites are not for the good intenders. These rights are for those that have been born again of the water and of the Spirit and are daily allowing, daily allowing and letting that Spirit lead them every day to follow the Lord at their level of understanding. Somebody hear me tonight. There are moments we must go beyond. We become forgiven from sin. And we need that. But we also need a deliverance from sin. You know when I need deliverance from sin? Every day. Every day. Mm-hmm. Paul said I die daily. Every day I need deliverance from sin. I don't need to allow a day to go by that I don't ask God for that deliverance, for that help. Because every day, I need deliverance from sin. Because today could be the day that the Lord comes back. Today could be the day that I'm either going to receive rights or not receive rights. i got to have every day a deliverance from sin. He will not come. He will not come for a church that is getting ready. But for a church that is ready, that hath made herself. He's not ready for somebody in process. Someone say Glory. He says, and just to, to throw the other cast of the stone, he says, these are those that don't have rights. In verse number 15, he said, those that are without. He said, dogs. Everybody, now please don't take that home. <laughs> little, little Henry, he said, listen, we're not talking about a little dog here. We're talking about a verbiage that Jews, Gentile, and everybody use for those people that, that represent anything unholy. And for certain, they, they make reference to male prostitutes as dogs. 
But nevertheless, he said, here are those that don't have rights. Dogs, sorcerers, amen, uh, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, lovers, and makers of lies. He's hit big time on lies in the book of Revelation. Now look now, verse number 18. I've skipped a little bit, but that's fine. He's again just talks, I already talked about the root and offspring of David, talking about the spirit and the bride say, come, all this is good. If you're thirst, come, water of life, freely you'll be able to drink. But verse number 18 of chapter 22, for I testify unto you, unto every man rather that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Don't add to. Don't take away. We live in a great major society today that they have played with the word of God so, so haphazardly. And there is not hardly a day goes by. There's not addition to and subtraction from. Again, not just applying to the book of Revelation, but to the entire Bible. Back in Deuteronomy 4.2, he spoke even then. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command Someone say amen. Pastor, I'm not added to the book. I'm not taken away from the book. Let me ask you this. Have you taken his name in baptism? If you've taken his name in baptism, for the Jew in the culture of that time, the name represents the person and their character. So you don't just take a name, but you take the character of the name, the totality of who and what that person is and what they represent. So whenever you take Jesus, you take everything that is holy, you take everything that is pure, you take everything that is clean, you take everything that is associated with Him. And so to respect the name was to respect the person to bear the name was to bear the person in the highest respect because the name belonged to God. Have you taken his name in baptism? Huh? Because if you take his name in baptism and you consistently, knowingly live life in a character that doesn't represent the name you took, you are misrepresenting him and thus have taken away Ah, someone say glory. 2,000 years ago or so on Palm Sunday, Sunday, a group of people took the name of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the Bible. Took the name of Jesus Christ. They called upon him. They called him the king. They sang Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as he came on that coat into the city there. Blessed is he that, 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 blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They sang their praises. They adored him. They strung their garments at. They put down palm branches in front of him. They waved him and praised him. For only five days later, they shouted, Crucify him. They took his name, as the Ten Commandments say, in vain. We take his name, we take away from the character. Well, that's not the Bible. His name is who and what. He is characterized by what he represents. John 1, 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And if his name is Jesus, and he represents a character that is very explicit in this word if you don't keep his name you take away from his character thus taken away from what he is I'm not trying to be harsh I hope you all know I say this I say you say boy you seem to might get a little red in the face tonight on a Wednesday night listen I'm just speaking with urgency Titus 1.16 Sister McGee, they profess they know God, 
But in works, they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Unknowing. But unknowing. I've even been baptized in his name. Let's go that far. But I don't do anywhere close what Jesus would do. Jesus is talking about I come quickly, I come quickly, I come quickly. And I titled this last, this last lesson after this because John's response to the constant call, the Lord saying, I come quickly, come quickly. John's response was, Amen. So be it, Lord. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. John didn't have any fear or doubt. He was stationed in such a place in his relationship with God. He's saying, Lord, you say come. I say, come on. And if you can't poise yourself in a similar position where John is, if Christ is calling, I'm coming, we need to be at a place where we can say, go on and come, Lord. Go on. Come on. Come, even come. Lord Jesus, come. And if I can't personally speak like that, that I must look introspectively into my life. I, I, I wasn't going to do this, but it, it hit me earlier in the week, and then I forgot about it, and then I remembered in prayer over here. Must have been God. I was reading here this past week in the Living Bible, in the book of Romans. I was reading there in the book of Romans. This is my second time through in the book of Romans this year. And I was reading it. That doesn't mean I've read through the whole Bible already, okay? <laughs> I read through sections of the Bible. But this is my second time through the book of Romans. And Romans chapter 1 speaks about all these people that went and started serving the creature rather than the creator. And that there were, there were people who were being wicked in every sin. And they had hate and envy and greed and murder and fightings. And, and the writer here, Apostle Paul, is just addressing... Uh, you know his world and how it all was to the Romans these people that are doing this type of stuff and he's addressing the Roman the church at Rome brother Mason the epistles he's addressing the church at Rome concerning how the world is and all these just just totally lewd and gossip and bitterness backbiting haters of God insolent proud bagger, braggarts all this stuff that the people of the world are doing and he does all this and then he follows up with chapter number 2. And if you'll allow me just to read out the Living Bible, chapter number 2. Remember now, he's addressing the church. Everybody say, the church! The church at Rome. He was describing the world to them and all their hang-ups and headaches, and then he speaks to the church. Please listen to me, and I'll, I'll be very quickly to a close. He says to the church at Rome, well, you may be saying what terrible people you've been talking about. But wait a minute. He says, you're just as bad. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're talking about yourselves, for you do these very same things. And we know that God in justice will punish anyone who does such things as these. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and overlook you, the church, when you do them too? Don't you realize how patient He is being with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see that he has been waiting all this time without punishing you to give you time to turn from your sin? His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But no, you won't listen. So you are saving up terrible punishment for yourselves because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. For there is going to come a day of wrath when God will be the just judge of all the world. He will give each one whatever his deeds deserve. He will give eternal life to those who patiently do the will of God, seeking for the unseen glory and honor and eternal life that he offers. But he will terribly punish those who fight against the truth of God and walk in evil ways. God's anger will be poured out upon them. There will be sorrow and suffering for Jews and Gentiles alike who keep on sinning. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who obey Him, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, for God treats everyone the same. 
everything here and everything he's describing about the world and he turns and says wait a minute I find some of these very same things in the church and don't think that you will escape punishment just because you show up three times a week They get judged for those things. You get judged for those things. Throw whatever label you want to on you. You're going to be judged for those things. But I've given a space of time. I'm not coming down hard with my hammer of punishment yet. Why? Because I'm trying to be kind. I'm not trying to, uh, if you will, underscore and say what you're doing is all right. You misunderstood me. I'm trying to give you kindness and mercy so that you'll come to a place of repentance. But there will be a day when there will be found no place of repentance. And my hammer of punishment and judgment will come for all. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, don't pray that, Brother McGee. Don't pray that. Don't pray that. Ooh, I don't know if I'm ready for him. Again, that's not the issue. Where are you at concerning when you pre-avenger he doesn't come where are you at concerning me you die stand with me tonight I didn't really mean to be so somber here on the last lesson but I'm I can't but believe there was just a spirit of urgency through John and through Christ in the closing of Revelation the finality of words that was going to be given to us to live by, but there wasn't some urgency there trying to push those seven churches and all those that were in hearing distance or would ever be. Read blessed, hear blessed, do bless, bless. And so we've been reading it. You've been hearing it. Now, application. We must We've read about seven seals, seven trumpets, right? We've read about seven vials. We've read about all the stuff we studied, the inside, outside, considered different opinions, blah, blah, blah. Number one, as Brother Mason so adequately has reiterated to us, we must be born again. Amen? But every day you need deliverance from sin. Every day. Listen to me. Do not misinterpret forgiveness for sin or deliverance from sin. So I think we might be pretty good at the wanting to get forgiveness from sin, but we need some deliverance from sin. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. We bow our heads in this place here tonight. God, I love you this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.